God speaks to us through his word in Luke 2, 1 through 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. <clears throat> Good morning and Merry Christmas. Got a bunch of Grinches in here, man. Yeah. Hey, my name's Ben. Glad you guys are here. Uh, if you are a guest in the room, I just want you to know that you are an honored guest. It really means a lot that you would be here today. And some of you guys traveled to be here. And uh, we really are grateful to spend Christmas with you. Okay, I'm going to jump into this. I've got a little bit to cover. And I'm going to try to get you out of here in a, a decent time so you can go and celebrate with your family. Let me pray for you guys. And you pray for me while I'm praying for you. God, we do ask for your power in this room. And um, I ask, Lord, that, um, that I thank you that your word does not return void. We ask that it would pierce the human heart. I pray, Lord, that we would learn about you in a unique way. And God, I just pray against arrogance in the room. Lord, I ask that there would be a, 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 a humility here to learn and say, you know what? I need Jesus. And we pray that your power and your presence would fall on us. Give us the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. One of the things, uh, one of the fears that I have, and I've seen it in myself, and I've seen it in, in the church world, is it's easy for us in this part of the world, and it's particularly this part of the year, this time of the year, to sort of mail it in when it comes to Christmas. Uh, we're already faced with so much anxiety. Any, any parents in the room feel just a little bit anxious about Christmas, a little bit anxious about what's under the tree or what's not under the tree maybe this year? Um, there's a lot of anxiety in the room. There's a lot of anxiety surrounding this, this time of the year, but there's also, that's not my greatest fear. The biggest trap that we have is that we become people that are so used to a profound story that when we hear it, it just goes in one ear and out the other. And that's the problem with actually church at all in Oklahoma is we're just so used to church. Church is just kind of that thing that we do. We go to church, our family goes, believe me, I love church. I'm down for it. It's my livelihood, it's church. 
Uh, I'm all about it. Um, but the, the thing in you is the same thing as the thing in me is that I just get used to the same things hearing the same stories. And then I start to even question whether or not they matter in my life. And the Christmas story more than any other story can be that it can be the thing that we go, this is kind of cute. This is a cute story away in a manger, you know, no sleep for his head, the little Lord Jesus, you know, it's like we imagine Jesus in that way, just a cute kind of little baby. But the, the truth is, is that there was absolutely nothing cute at all, not even a little bit about the Christmas story. And there's actually nothing cute at all about God coming to earth, period. The reason that he came to earth is altogether not cute. <laughs> Some people in the, in the chair right now are like, man, I came for a cute sermon. I was really hoping today. And I just got to give you the truth because I owe it to you to give you the truth today. I don't know a lot of you in the room. There's some I do know. But even for the ones that are so familiar with this story or some of you that aren't, what we need is we need something tangible today. We need something real. Like I don't want for us to just chase our tail doing the same old thing when I think that this news has matters of life and death eternally for you. It really does matter today. The fact is this, God came as a human being. God was not bored. God was not distant. God was not dissatisfied. There was nothing about God that said, I'm lonely. God was totally and eternally satisfied. Nobody made God. One of the names of God is Elohim. Elohim meaning God of power. This is the God that spoke Light, light, the world was dark and void. He opened his mouth and he spoke it and light existed. This is a God that by a word of his power separated the heavens and the earth. This is also the God that from the dirt formed mankind and then breathed life into his dead bones. Elohim, Yahweh, powerful God needed nothing. He didn't need a single thing. He didn't need us to sing carols. He didn't need us to do anything. God himself totally satisfied that God who was never made eternally just fine came down to earth and became a human being, became a human being. He was born in a manger. The word for that is, we're going to find out a little more about it, it's, it's a limestone cove. It's where you would put animals. It's where you'd put them to wrap them up and they also feed out of it. Jesus describes himself in the Bible as the bread of life. What is happening is the bread of life is born in a feeding trough to say, come and feast. You need food. And that's where you, some of you are today. Is you, Some of y'all might have just even been drugged here. I don't know how you got here. I'm glad that you did. I'm honored that you did. But it's not by some crazy coincidence. God in his sovereignty, and I promise you he is sovereign. God in his sovereignty got you here in that chair with those people today. Guaranteed. Ask me, Ben, how confident are you? I could say, 
confident in so many things in my life, but there's one thing I know for sure is that God brought you here today. There's no doubt in my mind. The story of Christmas is not just cute. It's powerful. And we need it today. And this little story, what is given to us here, when in Luke 2 it says this, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. That is good news. That's gospel. That's by definition the word gospel uh, of great joy that's for absolutely everybody, every type of person, no matter how dark you are, no matter what you did before you walked in here, no matter how many times you've done it, it's for every type of person. So let's perk up. Let's listen to this story today. Let's let it minister to our hearts. The first thing I want you to see is this. Christmas means God came to us. It means God came to us. This is important. I'm going to tell you why. Because in Oklahoma, People tend to have a different religious framework for just about anything or ways of seeing God or ways of seeing church. One thing, this is a big word that you can't, it'd be, you'd struggle to say it three times fast. Um, moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. That is this idea that there's this imaginary ladder between, hev- between earth and heaven. And if I am just pretty decent, not you know, of course, nobody can be always decent, but if I do a pretty decent job, just living my life, if I'm, if I even, I, I think I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna maybe even become a member, I might even, you know, serve the offering plate, hold the door open, whatever it is, but if I just do all of that, do pretty decent type stuff, if I look the part, act the part, then I think I'll get in. <laughs> I think I'll get in. I think there ain't no way in the world, God's going to keep me out if I, I held the door at church, Jesus. What do you mean I can't get in? It's this concept here, especially in the Bible Belt, that we can just act the part, look the part, but not actually know it, not actually believe it, not actually surrender our life to Christ. But we can just kind of do some things, be okay. That's a moral therapeutic deism. It's this, it's religion. It says God is real, but far away, and we have to find him. We just gotta do enough to get to God. And then there's atheism, especially in this part of the world. There's people that have either been hurt by the church or they grew up in a moral, therapeutic, deist kind of family, and they said, I don't even believe in this God. Um, In 1961, a a Russian uh, astronaut, cosmonaut, which, by the way, they were the first ones in outer space. Uh, we were the first on the moon. They were the first into space. They, uh, this guy said this. He goes up into outer space, first person ever, and here's his report, his great report when he comes back. He says, I flew up into space, and I did not see God there. C.S. Lewis, a famous writer, wrote a response to that, and he says this. I love this. If there is a God who created the world and created us, I could no more meet him than Hamlet could meet Shakespeare. For those of you unfamiliar, Shakespeare wrote the play Hamlet. If Hamlet wants to prove there is a Shakespeare, he's not going to be able to do it in a lab. Nor is he going to be able to find Shakespeare by going up into the top of the stage. The only way he will know something about Shakespeare is if Shakespeare writes something about himself into the play. Christmas is God writing himself into the play. Luke 2.10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy 
that will be for all people. For unto you uh, uh, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Christmas means God comes to us. He writes himself into the play. Who's it good news for? Let's just look at the characters involved in this story. Again, we're so used to it, you know. We have live nativities, which I love, which by the way, you, if you can't tell, I am all in on all Christmas stuff all the time. I just love it. I'm a big fan. I tell everybody every year and it doesn't work. If you wanna buy me a gift, you can buy me a gift. I won't mind at all. I love Christmas, love everything about it. But the fact of the matter is this, is that Christmas, need, we need something more than just what we see. Who was it for? Well, here's who it was for. It's not just for live nativities. It's not just for some cool story. The angel of the Lord came to shepherds. Why shepherds? Do you ever think about this stuff? If we believe this story is real, it's like, okay, shepherds? I mean, I don't really even understand. It's not like shepherds were that big a part of the history of Israel. I mean, they were a part of the history of Israel, but not that big. Like, why in the world? Like, when I think if God is going to announce something, wouldn't it be best to just announce it on social media? Or just to maybe back in this day to go to a king? It's like, okay, who are the people that can get the word out the fastest? But he comes in a field to shepherds. And here's what's even more interesting. Shepherds were some of the lowest of society. They were people that were always constantly dirty, always constantly just like, they were the type of, of social people that you would go like, that person is socially dysfunctional. This was the job that you, it didn't require a degree, you know? It's like, I'm not going to school, I'm, not gonna do, I'm just gonna be a shepherd. It was that kind of thing. People would shun shepherds in the town. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, their witness would not have been heard just like women in that day. Their witness would not have been heard in a court. Shepherds were considered low, which by the way, this is another thing when I mentioned women, uh, Jesus, the first person he appeared to after he was resurrected was women. That account and the account of the shepherds tell you something about God. This news is for absolutely every type of person. Do you feel dirty? Do you maybe see yourself as like, I don't really fit in, I don't fit the mold. These types of shepherds, man, if you struggle to even have a conversation with them, God comes to them. And if that's you today, God comes to you. Second thing is this. First is Christmas means God comes to us. Shepherds, lowly, those who've walked in, just maybe even crawled into this room today with all kinds of hiddenness and darkness or whatever it is, God comes to you. Second, Christmas means God cares. Luke 2, 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Jesus is preaching something to the world. He's telling, this is the first sermon of God. God's first sermon, his first announcement is the manner in which he was born. Max Lucado says something I think is so great of his book, God Came Near. The omnipotent, in one instant, made himself breakable. 
he who had been spirit became pierceable. He who was larger than the universe became an embryo. And he who sustains the world with a word chose to be dependent upon the nourishment of a young girl, God as a fetus, holiness sleeping in a womb, the creator of life being created. God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, and a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. God came near. He learned to crawl and walk. He spilt his milk, probably, probably fell and hit his head, probably got the stomach bug, woke up with bad breath. Elohim, that's humility in its power. God became a man. He didn't just put on the suit of skin. He didn't just for one instance say, I'm gonna go do this for a little while, but that's it, it'll be over. He's not like, that's what I used to think going on. I was like, well, God's got such a better understanding of eternity, this is gonna be like nothing to him to just go and be, no, that's not what happened at all. I'm telling you, he became a man and he will eternally be a man. Here's what happened. God left his glory, became a man, lived a sinless life. He bled, that's proof, on a cross, he died and was resurrected. And the way I know that he will be eternally a man is because after Jesus was resurrected in his glorified body, in his glorified state, right before he was gonna ascend to the right hand of God for eternity, there was a doubter among God's crew, among Jesus' disciples. Well, first off, they were all doubters, but poor Thomas is the only one that got recorded as a doubter. Thomas said, I need proof resurrected, glorified, having defeated sin, death, and hell, Jesus Christ showed him scars in his hand. Those are eternal scars. They're not just scars that last overnight. They're not just for a minute. He is eternally scarred. Jesus gave up his glory to be eventually glorified beyond belief. And at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That's power. That's humility. Philippians 2 says, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. He didn't just become man for a little while, he became all of man. Hebrews says that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ, a member of the Trinity, along with the Father and the Spirit, who knelt down and made man from the dust in Genesis, that one was tempted in every way as we are. You talk about humility. He was born through a birthing process that he created. That's power. Stack any God up against him. Find a God. Even if you don't worship Buddha or, or some of the other pantheon of gods, even if you don't worship something else, or maybe you've tried every type of thing, I don't know what it is, but we for sure worship our money. 
And we for sure worship the idea of our lives, like our dreams, our stuff, our family, you name it. Some of us worship ourselves. Stack any of those gods up against him. I'm, give me Jesus. Nobody else has done even comparable to what he's done. It's good news of great joy. John Calvin says this, Christ has put on our feelings along with our flesh. Karl Barth is this theologian. I don't even know why I mentioned his name. There's nobody here who's going to even know who he is. He's this theologian. Um, and um, he writes this essay, series of essays called The Humanity of God. And in his essays, he points out a, a really interesting thing. He notes that, and this is true, historically speaking, Germany at one point in the 16th, 17th, and 18th century, they were like the hallmark for theology. As a matter of fact, not even just that, they were a hallmark for worshiping. There were so many great theologians, so many wonderful things that were coming out of Germany. Songs like Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Them. I mean, just incredible songs. The nation itself was a worshiping nation. Art publications, uh, prayers, books that came out, theology that came out of Germany. And what happened was this, something that was so tragic, they started to overthink who God is. He became only a concept. They started to lose the humanity of God. And they just conceptualized him and they lost the fact that he had a heartbeat, that he was human. And then over time, what you got was the loss of art publications, no more songs being written because God himself was just a machine. And then over time, you had people starting to do crazy atrocities in the name of God, the rise of the Third Reich. I'm telling you today, it's not just paramount for us, it's paramount for society that we believe the incarnation. Word made flesh. It puts God ahead of everybody. He's put on our feelings along with our flesh. Dorothy Sayers says it like this, he has himself gone through the whole of human experience from trivial irritations of family. I'm gonna read that again. Y'all can say amen if you want from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restriction of hard work and lack of money. Amen to that. To the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and he thought it was worthwhile. Third thing I want you to see is this. Christmas means not just that God came to us, not just that he comes near, it means that God comes to save. It's the greatest search and rescue story of all time. And Jesus in Luke 19 says this, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Pretty clear, pretty cut and dry. He's got one mission. He wasn't just coming to hang out to just test the waters and see how it was. He already knew that. He had created every single thing that had ever been made. The Bible says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He knows it all, feels it all, sees it all, smells it all. God witnesses it all. He's in all and through all and above all. He's not coming to just figure out how it all works. He already knows. He himself made it work. He's coming for one purpose, and this is it, to seek and save the lost. 
which implies something. It implies that the lost need seeking and saving, which implies something for you today. That means that you need seeking and saving, that you, no matter what you've done, no matter how hard you've tried, it hasn't worked. I mean, pick the best 10, 15 minutes of your life. I don't even know what they, maybe if you're a saint, maybe you've had 20 minutes of your life where you felt sinless, you felt pretty good and pretty holy. Let's be honest. We struggle. The Bible says there's no way we can actually ever get to God. God has to come to us, which is why the Christmas story is the greatest news of all time. Because he did. He did come to us. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Well, how does he do that? There's something interesting in Luke 2 that we often miss. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The fact is this, God is infinitely holy. There is no way that we get to God. We cannot bring any sin into his holiness at all. God himself has to come for us. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is God, Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, three in one. So God himself has to come for us. And he did, again, in Jesus. The problem is this, is that we try to bypass that and we don't even understand what it means because in order for our sin to have been atoned for, which is a word that simply means the debt that we owe has been paid, something's gotta happen to somebody. Like God is both infinitely loving and just, but his justice cannot be ignored. He, has to, he wouldn't be God. What kind of God would he be if he wasn't just? His justice has to go somewhere. It's got to. And both his love and justice together both meet in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Something has to be paid for us. And that's what Jesus does is he pays the penalty that we owe. That's why the Bible calls him the lamb of God because way back in the day, God had put in the minds and hearts of his people that there will be a sacrifice needed to be made. So he gave them the concept of atonement, which means this, one day, one person, one lamb every year can be an atoning work for the sacrifice of God's people. That's what Israel did. It was called the day of atonement. They would find the best lamb that they could find and the priests and all the people, they would put their sins on the lamb and then they would kill the lamb. It was called a scapegoat. We put all of our sins on this one best perfect lamb that we can find. Well, lambs, sheep are raised by shepherds. And here's what's so interesting. For unto you this day is born the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you to the shepherds. What kind of sign? Stay with me, this is important. On the outskirts of Bethlehem, there was a shepherding community. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. There was a shepherding community called the Tower of the Flock. There's a Hebrew word, migdal eder. Migdal eder, meaning simply this. This was a very specialized and unique group of shepherds. They had a very special and unique uh, job to do. Their job was to raise sheep that would have been used on the Day of Atonement as a sacrifice for God's people. The, the tower itself had a lower level. When it was time for those baby sheep to be born, those mama sheep, 
those little baby sheep would be placed in a limestone trough and they would be wrapped in swaddling cloths. Sheep at Migdal Elder Eder were those pure and spotless, like they didn't even let them mingle with the rest of the sheep. They had one purpose in life. They would be the purest and most spotless sheep that would be used as a scapegoat on the sacrificial day for God's people, placed in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths. Gospel imagery from day one of Jesus' birth was that this baby was coming to die. Placed in a manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths. Behold, the Lamb of God, says John, who takes away the sins of the world. He was born to die. He entered into the, the absolute, God entered into the absolute insanity of this earth. He entered into it. And you know what the Bible says about him? He didn't do it reluctantly. He wasn't worried about it. It says it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame. He didn't wrestle with it. The Bible talks about the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know what zeal means? It means red-faced, passion. He's not bored. He's not like kicking rocks going, I guess I'll do it. Look how crazy these people are. We are crazy, <laughs> but that's not God's posture. He's not like me or you. I just, I would have immediately, I would have been like, I'm so tired of human beings. They say they love me and then they do the exact opposite. I'm tired of them. Let's just start over. I don't know. Let's create something different. No, God is so committed and faithful. He's so different than us. The zeal of the Lord of hosts is for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He is different than you and me. And thank God, because we can never do what he's done. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that's what leads us to this last thing. The very last line here. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. How do we get to be pleased? Uh, how do we get to be pleasing to God? It's simply this, trust Jesus. Believe everything I said is truth. Believe the Bible, trust it. You don't have to do it perfectly, nobody does. Come with this much faith, I mean not even that much, but just a little bit, a burning wick. But come with faith and go, I'm not good at it. I don't know if I'll ever be good at it, but I know this for sure and for certain. I am never gonna save myself. I know that. And I'm gonna trust Jesus to save me. That's what it means to be a Christian. And then you start the work that we all are in of just like the ups and downs and the highs and the lows, but go like, you know what? Sometimes I feel crazy I, because following Jesus doesn't mean my life is, is squared away. That's not true. We still live in a broken world. But what it does mean is that I, keep, I stay anchored to this one thing. And this is what I do in my life. It's like just staying anchored. I'm banking on, it has to be true. I'm putting my, all my eggs in this one basket. Christ is king, he died for me, he has risen again, and he's my only hope in life and death. 
The end. That's what it means to follow Jesus. There's an invitation for you today to throw off dead religion. Throw it off. Stop acting like following Christ is just being part of a culture. It's not. It means laying down your life. It means more than just looking the part, acting the part. It's in, in, a, in, a, in a place of the world where we are so over church, we can also be so under gospeled. And maybe today you know the story like the back of your hand, but God is moving on your heart in a unique way to say, hey, one, either renew your life, like let me come in, let me bring renewal to you, or two, you don't know me and I want you to. Come surrender your life today. Let's stand together.